You're listening to an audio sermon by Pastor Bernard Milder from Household of Christ. We trust that you will be encouraged and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. This time of the year is a time where people are making a lot of decisions. They are considering things, considering new job positions, considering moving, amen, valuing things. So this, this day I want to share a message Cost is not value. Cost is not value. The greater the cost of something, the higher value we place upon it. Is that right? The greater the cost, the more it costs you, the more you value it. But that's not always the truth. Sometimes when you place too much of a value on something, it can cost you. Let me use a good example. Right now, we're in the Rugby World Cup, amen? And if you've bought tickets for the main pavilion, center on the middle line, and you have to get there to that game, and suddenly there's an announcement there's going to be a hailstorm. There's a mother of all storms waiting for you. The mere fact that you've paid so much for those tickets and it's your favorite team playing, you might just say, I just have to get there. I'm just going to get there. And you might not consider the cost of what could happen to you in that storm. Because you value those tickets so much. Amen. Do we have some rugby supporters here? Amen. <laughs> so because of the high value you place on something, sometimes you don't consider the cost. Let me just say this about cost. Whatever... You are costing your company what they are paying you is not your value. Don't think because what they are paying you, that's your value. Cost, your cost to company is not your value. Amen? Can I have a loud amen? amen. People coming and helping to set up on a Sunday. The ushers, the hostesses, the media, the children's church, the people in the car park, the uh, first-time visitors section. The connect section, everybody helping. There's a cost involved for them to be here. But how do you value that? People's lives being changed. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, cost is not value. We often ask the question, what will it cost me? What will it cost me? You have to go somewhere. You have to meet up with somebody. People invite you to go somewhere. What is it going to cost me? Is it really worth it? Ever ask those questions? One thing that is true in the world, the greatest value is placed upon money, material possessions. But in the kingdom of God, the greatest value is placed upon you and me, individuals. The greatest value are people. That's the only thing that we can take with us to heaven one day. Amen? But the world is things, possessions. The car that you drive, the house that you are living in. And we can so quickly place a value on ourselves, on what we have, our possessions. But your true value is in the fact that you are made in God's image in likeness. Amen? Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, For the joy set before him, you and me, the value. 
he endured the cross. So it cost Jesus his life for us to enjoy the value of eternal life. Nobody of us can pay that price. Amen? It co- the cost for salvation was the cross. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's a high price. To be able to enter into the Holy of Holies. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says, we enter into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus. To be able to experience God's presence here, what we did this morning during the worship. Did you enjoy the worship? Were you aware of God's presence? I mean, there's nothing like God's presence just lifting up your spirit into His presence, encouraging you, being in front of the throne of grace, obtaining help and mercy. The cost for Jesus was never the question, but the value that He could add to our lives to restore relationship back to the Father. That's what it's all about. And I want to talk to you this morning about the cost of being a disciple but the value that it will add to your life. What it costs Jesus and the value that he's adding to your life. Are you ready to pay the cost to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you considered the cost? Let me just say this. Things of the Spirit, things of the Spirit cannot be bought with money. Things of the Spirit cannot be bought with money. A matter of fact, Spiritual things are pursuing spiritual things. That's why the enemy is after your heart. He wants your heart. Because if he's got your heart, he's got everything. He's got you. Cost is not value. Whatever God will ask of us is always because he wants to add more value to our lives what do you value most in your life have you given Jesus the rightful place in your life have you considered the cost of following Jesus thinking about this quite a bit this week cost and value we want everything for free and salvation is for free and a few weeks ago I preached on the mere fact that it's free it's not cheap Holy Spirit might be free, but it's not cheap. It costs Jesus his life. And sometimes when we receive something easy, we can make it very cheap, but it's not. David understood something about this. In 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, he says, I would not offer anything up to the Lord that will cost me nothing. He says, if I'm going to give something of value to God, I'm not going to make it cheap. Am I talking to the right people here? You know, when we come to worship God, the Bible talks about a sacrifice of praise. It's costing you something. Sacrifice of praise. But when you worship Him in spirit and in truth and His presence manifests, the value of that, it's immeasurable. Any sacrifice that God has ever asked of any of his disciples has always been to add value in your life, never to take away. Jesus came to give us life, life in abundance, superior in quality and superabundant in quantity. It's the enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Turn to the person next to you, say, cost versus value. 
What will it cost you to be a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me just give you the answer straight up. Turn to the person next to you, say, it's going to cost you everything. Can I have one amen? amen? It's going to cost you everything. It's a total commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not halfway, not being lukewarm, but being on fire for God. Amen. In Luke 14, Jesus said, count the cost. Count the cost. Take some time and see if this is really what you want to do. He says, make a decision and purpose in your heart if you want to do this with your whole heart. This is what God wants and requires of us, to serve him with your whole heart, with everything, a total surrender. Luke 9 verse 57 I'm reading from the Passion Translation, so if you have the Passion Translation, you can follow. Otherwise, you can just follow on the overhead. On their way, some came up to Jesus and said, I want to follow you wherever you go. It's always good to have an attitude, a willingness to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus replied, yes, but remember this. Even animals in the field have holes in the ground to sleep in, and birds have their nests. But the Son of Man has no place here to lay down his head. Jesus then turned to another and said, Come be my disciple. Jesus is saying this to everybody. Be my disciple. He replied, Someday. I will, Lord. But now, but allow me first to fulfill my duty as a good son. And wait until my father passes away. Jesus told him, don't wait for your father's burial. Let those who are already dead wait for death. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere that God's kingdom has arrived. Still another said to him, Lord, I want to follow you too. But first, let me go home and say goodbye to my entire family. Jesus responded, why do you keep looking backward to your past and have second thoughts about following me? When you turn back, you are useless to the kingdom realm. Wow. When I read this, it just spoke to me on so many levels. The first is, come be my disciple. And he replied, someday. We often procrastinate. He said, yeah, first, let me be a good son. How many of us say we want to follow God, but we say, let me just sort out myself and first become good, and then I'll follow the good shepherd? Let me just give it to you up straight. You don't become good, and then you follow Jesus. You follow Jesus, then you become good. Amen? Amen? <laughs> you don't say, I'm going I'm to start living a holy life. And then I'm going to serve a holy God. No. You start serving a holy God, then he helps you to start living a holy life. Amen? It's his ability that becomes your ability. It's not you and your own strength getting right, and now you can serve God. Amen? When you count the cost, always remember that Jesus is there to help you. Anybody can say, I want to follow Jesus. 
But faith acts now, faith believes now, and faith receives now. If you're going to follow him, make a decision and follow him. Amen. Jesus said here to him, go and proclaim everywhere that God's kingdom has arrived. God's kingdom has arrived. Can I just say this? Every member should be a missionary going out and proclaiming the word of God. Sharing that there's hope. Telling people about Jesus. Inviting people to church. Amen? Turn to the person next to you say, you're a missionary in the church. We want people to connect with Jesus because as soon as they connect with Jesus, there are so many benefits. When you look at Psalm 103, Psalm 103, the New King James says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So counting the cost is one thing, but the benefits when you start serving Jesus is so much Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Amen? Can I ask you something? When you count the cost, is Jesus the thing in your life, the one thing in your life? Or has he become one of the things in your life? Because when we read here, the people, the excuses that they are making, they're saying, they're not saying they don't want to serve Jesus. They are saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow you wherever you go. There's a willingness. But the mistake that we make, Jesus has become one of the things. And not the number one thing. Every time they said, let me first go do this. It's only Jesus that can look into your heart and see if he is the first thing in your life or if there's other things that is first. But through our actions and our behavior and the things that we do, we can see if Jesus is first or not. First, let me go and do this. First, let me go and do this. Turn to the person next to you say, cost is not value. Can I tell you what the cost will be? The cost will always be, put Jesus first. Turn to the person next to you say, put Jesus first. So what are the good excuses that people use? What are the good, 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 good excuses that people use? The number one excuse from this scripture is family. Family. Family can so easily become an excuse. I'm not saying don't put your family first. Look after, your, look after your family, please. But I think what Jesus is talking about, if I can go back to rugby, rugby, rugby World Cup right now, I think where the problem comes in is where we can make all our arrangements and plan to have our family ready to watch the rugby or to be at the stadium have you done your homework? Is all your homework done? Because we're not going to do homework when you're going to watch rugby. I'm not doing revisions with you when we're watching rugby. Have you done your extra homework? Have you gone for your extra lessons? Have you done your exercises for your sport? The test that you are writing that you have to study, have you finished all of that? Because when it's ragaboos time, none of these things are going to happen. 
Am I talking to the right people here? I think the problem is when we can make time for something like rugby and arrange our family for rugby. But when it comes to a Sunday service, 9.30, now we have to study. Uh, We have to do this. And we have all these excuses. Oh, my, my outfit wasn't ready. But for the rugby, you've got matching outfits and everything ready. And lo and behold, if you've got the wrong outfit on, we'll just push you aside. Am I talking to the right people here? Count the cost. And I think this is what Jesus is saying here. What's more important to you? Who are you putting first? This time of the year where you are making decisions concerning jobs, be very careful that you're not accepting a job that will hinder you in serving God. Moving to a town that will influence your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I just talk about cost and value? Sometimes we don't realize the value of a living church until it's cost us. A living church where the life is Christ himself. A living church is the reservoir of God's power. Go listen to the beautiful testimony that was placed on our website now of somebody that moved away, and we're still in contact with them. We have a good relationship with them. But just a beautiful testimony of how she values household of Christ, the worship, the presence of God, the praise, the fellowship, the loving God and loving people. Amen? Cost and value. Cost and value. The more you value something, the more you'll appreciate it. It was Lot's wife, when she had to move away from Sodom, she looked back at what she was giving up. Her friends, her beautiful home, all her possessions. Sometimes when we are moving to where God wants us, and we haven't counted the cost. We still value the things in the past. It was the very thing that kept Egypt back, looking back to Egypt, murmuring and complaining and saying it was better when we were in Egypt. Have you ever said that? It was better and easier for me when I was not serving God. Have you really counted the cost? Have you really looked at the value that God adds to your life? Life in abundance. Do you know that there's a life you're after? Am I talking to the right people here? Turn to the person next to you and say, cost is not value. What will it cost you to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Total commitment. It will cost us everything. Because the Bible says we have to take up our cross daily. Take up your cross daily. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Have you read that scripture? But the life that I live now, I live through the Spirit. Empowering me, strengthening me, leading me, guiding me. Have you ever meditated upon that scripture? Been crucified with Christ. I shared on Thursday at the prayer. I said, it's so interesting when the Bible says, crucify yourself daily. Die to yourself daily. Have you ever gone through that experience? You know, some of it you can do yourself. 
if you're going to crucify yourself, just think, I think in pictures a lot. If you're going to crucify yourself, you're going to put the nail through this hand first. Push it through. Mm, painful. Then you're going to go. Poo, 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 poo. Then you're going to go through your feet. Poo, poo. Oh no, maybe start with your feet first. Eh? Poo, poo, poo. Feet first, <laughs> then hand. But guess what? Just one hand left. Who's going to do that? More than likely, it's going to be somebody in the church. <laughs> Am I talking to the right people here? Have you recently had somebody in the church just help you kill the flesh a little bit? Die to yourself? You're way too serious. Have you forgiven them? <laughs> Wait till I get off this cross. <clears throat> no, you, I'm me do you now, come. No, I'm leaving you there. I know you can see in your face you're going to hurt me. I'm just going to leave you there. Amen. Am I talking to the right people here? This flesh, when it has to die, count the cost. Count the cost. Sometimes it's us making a decision and working out everything which is not of God. Let me put it just straight. Killing that which is not of God. Can I have one amen? What is there in my life that I have to work out which is not of God? Maybe changing a lifestyle. Disconnecting from unlawful and damaging relationships. Am I talking to the right people here? Some people in your life, they don't want to serve God. Their purpose is not to help you to get closer to Jesus. Every time you're with them, they're dividing, they're subtracting in your life. Putting things in your heart that's bringing doubt, hope, unforgiveness, bitterness. Am I talking to the right people here? And you've spoken to them and say, let's not talk about these things. Forgive that person. But every time you're with them, those things are coming out. <clears throat> what kind of love is that, God? Uh, Pastor, what kind of love is that? You said then loving God, loving people. That is loving God and loving people. If bitterness remains in your heart and that offense grows, it can cost you your salvation. The cost of keeping this pure comes at a cost. But when this is pure, the value is you'll see God. Blessed is the pure in heart, for they will see God. If there's friends and family that's always contaminating your heart, keep a bit of a distance. Pray for them and love them and encourage them. But don't let them defile your heart. Protect this with everything. Am I talking to the right people here? There are certain people where you are going... They cannot come with you. Maybe I have to preach on this. What was one of the first things that God told Abraham? Get away from your family. I'm not saying get away from your family, but what God wanted to do in his life, he had to disconnect from all the things that they were doing so that God could take him to a place that he could do what God wanted him to do in his life. So there are certain people in your life that cannot go with you to where you are going. Amen? 
certain things we have to work out of our system, out of our lives. Amen. Turn to the person next to you, say, cost is not value. Leaving friends who seek to lay you astray. Young people, there are certain people, certain friends, the intention is not to get you into church. Their whole plan is to get you out of church. Be careful of those friends. Amen? If God gives you a warning about a friend, listen. If your parents warn you about a friend, listen. My parents often growing up said, watch out for this friend. I don't feel comfortable. It's not that they are bad. We keep on praying for them. But there are certain relationships that's there to derail you. Can I have an amen? Amen. Sometimes you have to be able to say, no, I'm not going to go with you and feel good. Because you know you are choosing life by saying no. A yes is not always choosing life. Sometimes it's no, I'm not going to go with you where you are going right now. Because I know it's going to influence me and take me away from Jesus. Where you want to take me, I know God is not welcome there. Some personal commitments that you are making in your own life, let your yes be your yes. Amen? Counting the cost. If we're going to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's count the cost so that we can finish strong. Amen? It's going to cost you something to change. It's going to cost you something to change. That's why I challenge people. I say, come to church for one year. That's the cost. And let's see what the value will be after a year. How much God will change your life. Amen? I used to say six weeks, but I don't like that six weeks commitment. It's not a, six weeks is not a commitment. A year is a commitment. Amen? A year is a commitment. So make that decision to walk with God. When you've counted the cost and you make a decision, I'm going to walk with God, there's certain things that's going to start happening in your life that are just going to change your life. Turn with me to Psalm 1. As I was preparing this message for today, God was busy with so many things, but God led me to, to Psalm 1. And I want to read it. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It says, What delight comes to the one who follows God's ways. The one who's counted the cost and said, I'm going to follow God's ways, there's happiness. He won't walk in the step with the wicked, nor share the sinner's way, nor be found sitting in the scorner's seat. I shared on Thursday, and I said, I said, it's very interesting. Listen to me. You don't just end up sitting in sin. You first walk with it. You're moving with it. So it's not that you're attached to it. You're, not, you're just moving with it. Moving with the wrong people. Then you start standing with the wrong people. So now you're getting a bit stuck. And then you go sit. You first walk with people that gossip, just listening. Then you start standing. And then you get comfortable and now you listen and then you become a gossiper yourself. Am I talking to the right people here? But he says the person that makes a decision not to walk. says when God is your delight and you say I've counted the cost. He won't walk in the step with the wicked. 
nor share the sinner's way, nor be found sitting in the scorner's seat. His pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of I am. Meditating day and night in the true revelation of the light. And you can go look at Joshua 1 verse 8. I've preached on it many times. Where Joshua says, meditate on the word of God. Let it be in your mouth. Say it. Do it. And your ways will become successful. Amen. So allowing the word of God to become an integral part of your life is key to be successful. He will be standing firm like a flourishing tree. He'll be standing firm like a flourishing tree. Psalm 92 verse 13 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish. Turn to the person next to you, say, get planted. Let me just tell you something straight out. Some people will never start to flourish in their lives because they're not planted. They're hopping from church to church. They're hopping from conference to conference. And that is not the biblical way. The right way is get planted. When you get planted, your roots can grow downward and you can start to grow upward and you can start to bear decent fruit. If you're a pot plant, you become a beautiful plant. We can put you in the shade and then we put you in the rain and then we put you in the sun and we can move you around. But you're never going to become strong. You're never going to start to flourish the way that God intended you to flourish. It's only when those roots go down. Can I have an amen? amen. That's the cost. That's the cost. The, you know, can I talk to the young people? And the, can we talk about relationships for one minute? It's the per, I'm married now 29 years. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. Thank you, my wife, for loving me for 29 years. Amen. <laughs> but there's a cost to be committed for 29 years. But the value is so much. It's so much. The challenge where you have to hold on to God and need God's ability and strength in Belinda's life and in my life is to stay together for 29 years. You need God, I promise you. It's tenacity. Yes, there's love, but there's a lot of just holding on to Jesus. Amen. Especially when you come from two different cultures. But it takes a commitment and holding on to God. And it's there where God's name gets glorified. It's not in having 20 wives. I almost want to say that's easy. But to keep one wife happy and one husband happy, that's difficult. There you need God. Amen. Can I have one amen? amen. Who's been married for... Longer than 30 years here. Um Ari and Taniyaki, we salute you. Amen. Yes. Those people, give the Lord a hand. Those that are married for more than 30 years, I salute you. I, I know the love that you have for your wife and the love that she's got for you. Amen. Paul says, you might have 10,000 teachers, but you have one father that's looking after you. Who's your father that takes care of you? Who's the one that will walk down the aisle with you? Because that's the key. That's the, that's the real challenge. Is to be planted in the house where God has placed you. 
Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, verse 2, you can go read. He says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. That means those that are here that you can see, shepherd them. You cannot be shepherd through a television. You can receive teachings, but it's only an inflow. That's the Dead Sea. Just water flowing in and you receiving and I'm blessed. Hallelujah. But where is it flowing to? Because relationship is mutual. We must be able to communicate and talk. Or when you pray, are you the only one talking to God? Because that's not relationship. Relationship is when it's mutual. Am I talking to the right people here? Find your pastor and get submitted and committed in that church. Get planted there and you'll start to flourish. But don't be a pot plant. If the devil can move you every few years from one church to another church, you'll never become strong and reach your full potential and flourish. Because it takes two, three years to build just decent relationships, to really to get to know people. So count the cost. If God has spoken to you and said, this is my church, then get planted here and let this be your church. And if you're in another church, then be in that church and help them and support them so that you can flourish there. Can I get an amen for the other churches as well? Amen. I'm for other living churches. Amen. I'm not against other churches. But I'm a pastor. And I have to stand account one day before Jesus. For those who are planted. Amen. Shepherding the flock of God which is among you eagerly, willingly. <clears throat> if I'm the guy you're calling when you're in trouble to pray with, then I'm your pastor. Then get planted here. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. I love this psalm. One, I was meditating on this. You will be standing firm like a flourishing tree, planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of its life. You know, when I read this, the first scripture that came to mind was Genesis 26:12, Bearing fruit in its season. You know what Genesis 26:12 says? It says, then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Have you ever read that scripture? I mean, people use it for offering and everything, and I'm not taking up an offering now. But I love that scripture when it says he reaped a hundredfold. You know why I love that scripture? Because of verse 1. Because of verse 1. Put up verse 1 quickly. You know what verse 1 says? Verse 1 says, there was a famine... And then there was a second famine. So there was a drought, and then it got drier. Then to the person next to just whisper, say, sounds like my life. <laughs> so I'm facing things like that. Have you been in a situation where it was tough, and then it got tougher? And all that Abraham did is he said yes to Jesus. He said, God, I'm going to follow you. After God said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to reward you, 
I'm going to protect you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to be your God. He runs into a famine and a second famine. But in that second famine, the Bible says Isaac sowed, planted, and he reaped a hundredfold. And I said, cost and value, cost and value. What did it cost him? Why did he have that value? How is it that, because most people in the world, they'll tell you if there's a famine and a second famine, hold on. Don't plant anything. Am I talking to the right people here? But he planted and a hundredfold return. And I said, okay. And this week on Thursday, I was just chatting to my mom during the week. We were, we were talking about the miracle seed, the grace and miracle seed. And we were talking about tithing and everything. And to be honest, uh, growing up, my grandfather, my mother's father, he was always a giver. So I knew him as a giver. I've, I've, I've got his names as well. So I had a lot of favor from him. I got extra stamps and coins and benefits just having the name Bernard. Amen. So uh, very grateful for him uh, for blessing me. So I always in my mind thought that he was the giver. And that's why my parents were givers and tithers. But when I was talking to my mom this week, she said to me, did you know it was your dad who taught me to tithe? And I said, no, I didn't know that. And she said, it was your dad. And when she said that, suddenly a lot of things just made sense in my mind about my dad. Remembering how he would sit down and write down the budget. And right at the top, he would always put the tithes, tinders. He would write tithes at the top. And he would always put God first in what he gave. And how this actually happened, my mom was having a conversation with somebody. And they were saying to her, I don't know how you've always got enough. And my mom said, my advice to you, start giving your tithes. And that's when I started thinking how my dad gave his tithes always. How my dad was always a giver. Um, would always, I would see him go to people with parcels and just go bless people. And I started thinking, but what is this about, about tithes? Um, my dad, being a tither, putting it right at the top, all his needs, needs always being met. I remember the day his salary was paid in, that's the day he would pay his tithes. And the one year my dad wanted to buy a car, and the one specific car I really loved, and I actually said to him, just dad, just get the car, man, and just enjoy it. And in the end of the day, he didn't buy the car. And I realize now why. Because in his budget, the tithe was at the top. And he put God first, even if it meant not buying the car that he wanted. It was the cost that he was prepared to pay but the value that I saw in his life, that blessing. Give the Lord a hand for dads. For dads that teach us to count the cost so that we can see the value in our lives. And I want you to go to, to, um, go to Genesis 14. And I realized that Isaac didn't just do this. He didn't just do this. He had a dad that taught him this. And I want to speak to you quickly. Look here. It, Genesis 14, 20, it says here, and he gave a tithe of all. 
Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Number one, what happened here is when he met with Melchizedek, and it's a type of, of Christ himself that he met with. The first thing that he brought out was bread and wine. What does that represent? Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed. So what he actually did is he preached the gospel of salvation to Abraham. He brought the understanding of redemption to him. That's what he did. He brought that to Abraham. Amen? So wonderful. I mean, Abraham had full understanding of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when God asked him to sacrifice his son, to kill him, the Bible says in Romans, he believed that even if he died, he was able to raise him from the dead. How do we obtain salvation? We confess with our mouths that Christ died and that he was raised from the dead. So he understood salvation. He understood that a dead thing can live. That even if there's no hope, the song that we were singing, when Christ is involved, the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, redemption, there can be new life. So Abraham, after this message was shared with him, he gave a tithe of everything to Melchizedek. Now, a tenth represents perfection. Well, it means the man that's being redeemed of all. That's why he gave a tithe. So now you can understand later on, even when Moses got the law, every tenth animal they had to give to redeem the rest. Amen? When when Abraham sent his servant to go find a wife for his son, how many camels did he send with him? Ten. Why? Because it represented all his wealth, everything that he's got. Joseph did exactly the same. He sent ten donkeys with the possessions to his father. So he could understand, Joseph is there. He's in charge of everything. The ten commandments. Amen. If you break one, you've broken all. But if you give the tenth, all is covered and blessed. Malachi 3. Can you see what God is doing here? So he taught that to his sons. That's why Isaac said, you know what, no problem. Famine, second famine. God, I know you've got me. I'm going to sow. And I know because your redemptive power is on everything that I do, you're going to bless the work of my hands. That's why Jacob, later on in Genesis 28, 22, he says, in everything that you give me, surely I'm going to give you a tithe. He says, I'm not playing around with this. Everything, as soon as it comes, everything, I'm going to give a tithe. I'm redeeming it all so that your favor and your blessing can rest upon it. Amen. I thank God for dads that teach us the truth when it comes to finances. That's why giving a tithe 
They started doing it as a law. But Mo, uh, uh, Abraham actually gave it out of a relationship. And we write that test every single day still. Amen? What does the Bible say concerning mammon? It says, if you are faithful in the least, God will entrust you with more, with the true riches. Amen. Just go with me in your Bibles. Where's my glasses? Amen. Hallelujah. Turn to the person next to you. Say, we bless the pastor's eyes so that he can read even better. What does Luke 16 verse 10 says? It says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I want you to see this. Abraham, when he brought the tithes, guess who pitches up immediately after that? The king of Sodom. And he says, I'm going to make a deal with you. You can keep the people. Uh, I want the people. You keep the money. And what does Abraham say to him? Abraham said to him, I will not take one cent from you, king of Sodom, unless you say, you've blessed me and you've made me rich. I want you to know the person who's blessed me is God. I'm worshiping God. I'm honoring God. I'm following his principles, not the principles of this world. What is the thing that people place the most value on in the world? Money. What is it that the kingdom of God places the most value on? People. People. Interesting that this happens here in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. What is the thing that's been diminished to almost nothing in this world right now? The life of a human being. People are killing people for nothing. I mean, you hear the stories the whole time. People don't value the lives of people anymore. But I mean, if there's a party with this kind of stuff and oh, ooh, bling and all of these things, we put such a high value on that. God values people. Everything that we do is because of people. What is the spirit at work in this world right now? Mammon. Mammon is the God of riches. People placing value on money more than anything else. Do you know what sacrifice they made to the God of Mammon to get wealth and riches? One of the sacrifices that was made, children. People will come and they would take their children and sacrifice it to obtain riches. That was the cost so that they could have that value in their lives. Don't people still do that today? How many people sacrifice their families Am I talking to the right people here? I'm talking about cost and value. Working so many hours, and I'm all for hard work and long hours, but sacrificing our family and our children at the expense of money is just not worth it. That spirit is still at work today. So finances, 
money that's out there, it takes on the nature of the individual. Am I talking to the right people here? Who of you would like your money to be redeemed by God? The way that you do it, you give a tithe. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. You give a tithe. Then that money is redeemed. It's redeemed. The Babylonians, because of everything that they wanted, they were prepared to sacrifice their children to get wealth. I'm not going to say any more, but I mean, there's a movie out now, uh, Sound of Freedom. Go watch it. It, it. it will shock you. But it's just a reality check that we place value on people. Turn to the person next to you and say, God values you. Turn to the person on the other side and say, God values you. So what God was doing here after this message was shared, the first thing, when he understood redemption, he brought a tithe. He gave a tithe. And you can, now you can go read Malachi 3 with different eyes. When God says, bring all the tithes into the storeroom. Bring all the tithes into the storeroom. Can I just say this about being planted in a church? You give your tithes in the church where you are planted. Amen? You cannot be in this church and give your tithes in another church. Amen? You cannot eat at the KFC and go pay a chicken chicken. Doesn't work like that, amen? Not even the world will accept that. <laughs> so it doesn't work like that. So if this is where God has planted you, pay your tithe here. Amen? That's the way that God operates and the way that God does it. I've said a lot. Let me close with this in conclusion. Very interesting that Babylon, Babylon that sacrificed the children, the meaning of that name is to cause confusion. And I think more than ever there's confusion in the church when it comes to money and finances. Am I talking to the right people? The Bible says, heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Is that right? Is that what the Bible says? It says healing, serious diseases, deliverance, salvation. Freely you've received, freely give. Turn to the person next to you, say salvation, cost Jesus his life but it's free. So listen to me very clearly. You don't pay for healing. You don't pay for deliverance. You don't pay for salvation. It's unscriptural. If you do that, you are putting yourself in danger. Go read 2 Kings 5 verse 20 when Gehazi went to Naaman after Elisha told him, no, I'm not going to receive any money for the healing of the leprosy. Interesting that the Bible mentions leprosy in the sentence when he says, heal the sick, heal the lepers, 
cast out demons, freely you've received, freely give. Naaman was healed of leprosy. After he was healed, he valued his healing so much. He valued it so much that he said, it must cost me something. I want to pay. Go take time and go read 2 Kings 5. He urged, he pushed, he pressurized. He did not stop with Elisha. I want to give you something. I want to give you something. I want to give you something. And he just said, no, 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 no. It's not your time to give. It's your time to receive. Your time to give will come, but it's not now. Am I helping some of you here? Gehazi looked at this from a natural point of view, and he said, stupid man of God. He's missing out on an opportunity of a lifetime. I will quickly run. Go to 2 Kings 5.20. That's exactly what it says. Just put it on the overhead. 2 Kings 5.20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian. My master didn't take anything from him. My master did not take advantage of him. My master didn't say, give me a million. Didn't say, give me 50,000. Didn't say anything. While not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, always have to bring God in. Amen. I will run after him and take something from him. I'm going to take this gap. He doesn't see it. I see it. And he takes it. And you know what happens? He becomes a leper. Elijah did eight miracles. Elisha did 16 miracles. Gehazi was the servant of the man of God. He was supposed to do 32 miracles. But he became a leper because of money. Taking when he's not supposed to take. Go read the whole thing. When Elisha met with him, he said, Is it our time to receive clothes? Is it our time to receive olives? Is it our time to take from this man now? He says, It's not our time to take now. It's our time to give now. What God has given us freely, we are giving him freely. And what God has blessed him with, the time will come. But the time is not now. Because now, what? price tag do you put on an incurable disease? What is the cost for an incurable disease? What will somebody pay to be cured of an in- You cannot. That's why you cannot take advantage of people when they are desperate. Because God sees it. He sees it. Do you know, go read Ezekiel, I think it's Ezekiel 16 verse 49 and 50. The sins that Sodom committed, they did not have compassion for people. Their hearts were hardened towards people. It's one of the reasons why God destroyed them. So this is the thing Isaiah warns. He says, deep darkness will fall upon people. Ignorance will come upon people. Confusion will come upon people. Don't let there be confusion. When it comes to money and healing, money and deliverance, God has given those things freely to us. 
we give it freely with a joyful heart. Will you be in the house and you can sow a seed? Yes, you can do that. But you don't pay for your healing. Amen? Never give when you are desperate. Never give when you are anxious. Never give when you are unhappy. God wants you to be a happy giver at all times. Amen. Am I helping some of you here today? Turn to the person next to you and say, cost is not value. So the cost for deliverance, for healing, it's free. It's free, but it's not cheap. Amen. We're here to be a blessing to people. Go, go read Galatians 6. The Bible says, don't muzzle the ox. We, we're here to be a blessing to a man of God. I believe you can bless a man of God. Amen. Turn to the person that you say, you can bless a man of God. But don't come with money when you want healing. Amen. When you need deliverance. That's not the time to give money. Amen. Let me close now. Let me try and close again. Amen. There's probably going to be memes about this again, me trying to close. Amen. <laughs> Turn to the person that you say, cost is not value. So can I try and close? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> There's a cost to be a disciple. There's a cost to be a disciple. Let's not water it down. David said, I will not offer anything to the Lord that costs me nothing. Jesus requires of us when we follow him to take up our cross daily. That cross is not a heavy burden. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. To help us to get from where we are to where God wants us to be. Abraham was a tither. He taught it to Isaac, although you never see that Isaac gave a tithe, but he did so in a famine. But you see Jacob says, God, when you bless me, I'll give a tenth. Because he understood the redemptive power that rested upon everything when he honored God with his tithes and his offerings. People in the world make covenants with the devil to be successful. Do you know that? You read about that, how they sell their souls. You don't have to do that. We're in covenant with God. But when you're in covenant with God, God will honor that as well. People don't doubt covenants in the world. They say, oh, I see that person is blessed. He's done what and what, whatever. But when you enter into a covenant with God, know that he is faithful and true. The song we were, that we were singing, the untime God. I'm going to leave you with this thought. Don't always just look what it's going to cost you but have an attitude to add value. When you come to church, don't say, this is what it's costing me. Add some value. I'm going to leave you with this one last thought, thought-provoking thought. Last one, forgive me. <laughs> the cost to be on time. The cost to be on time as a church member. What if God said, I'm going to add all the value that you're looking for at 9.38 in the worship. Will you be here at 9.45? No, no, no. You'll count the cost very quickly and make sure that you're here for that value. Count the cost and offer that which is pleasing to God. Selah. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon. For more information, please go to our website, www.hoc.org.za. Household of Christ. Loving God. Loving people.